This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Well, it is great to be with you. A recent Gallup poll said Americans are more likely now than in the early 2000s to find a variety of behaviors morally acceptable, including gay and lesbian relations, having a baby outside of marriage, and sex between an unmarried man and woman. Now, we hear statistics like this, and we often conclude that the moral breakdown in society just stems from earlier legal errors like the enactment of no-fault divorce laws, and there may be some truth to that. But is there, in fact, a deeper reason for the moral collapse we are seeing all around us, especially as it pertains to marriage and the family? We're going to talk about it today with Dr. Paul Kangor. He is executive director of the Center for Vision and Values at Grove City College and is also professor of political science there. We're going to be talking about his great book, and I mean great. It's called Takedown from Communists to Progressives, How the Left Has Sabotaged Family and Marriage. And Dr. Kangor, it's just such an honor to have you here. How are you? Oh, you're too kind, Jana. Thank you. Good to be back with you. Uh, It's wonderful to have you here. And I think this is a really important connection that people need to understand. Our current state, as you say in the book, is the end road of a steady evolution that should not be viewed apart from early attacks by the communist left. This isn't a conspiracy, as you say, but there's a connection. What is that connection? Well, that's right. And and I should note, too, Janet, that I, I wrote this book not only one because I could, because I know the background, but because no one else did. Right. And, and I started I started emailing people about a year and a half ago. I had to write a, a paper for a conference on um, on you know the far left's role in takedown of marriage and family. And I was emailing you know you and I could come to probably come up with a common list of thirty people that I would contact on this. And I was stunned that no one had done this. Wow. And, and so so yeah so I I, I put it together. And I, I, I mean, look, there, there has been a, a 200 year, I mean, it, it goes back further than that, thousands of years, really. But, but since the early 1800s in particular, there has been a concerted, very deliberate attempt by the far left, and specifically communists and socialists, people like Marx and Engels, cultural Marxists and the Frankfurt School. George Lukash, Wilhelm Reich, Herbert Marcuse, and even early socialists in the United States or who, who try, came here to the United States, Robert Owen, Charles Fourier, to try to redefine natural, traditional family and marriage. And, and the stunning thing is that after decades, centuries of trying, they, they only now finally found the vehicle to make it happen. You know, that is a vehicle that has enough general mainstream public support to make it happen, and, uh, and that is same-sex marriage. And, and most of the people, in fact, 99% of the people that support same-sex marriage are utterly and absolutely and completely oblivious to any of this and, and what they're aiding and abetting in their ignorance. 
Yeah, no doubt. And that is stunning to consider nobody else has done it. Although I don't know anybody who'd be a better person to put this book together than you with your knowledge of communism in the background. When you talk about this all stemming from, you know, the mid 1800s and the far left, even back then had its sights on the marriage and family at the epicenter of their of their aims and their goals to get rid of that. It's in the way. Talk a little bit about Karl Marx, about the Communist Manifesto, because here he called for the abolition of the family. A lot of people don't even know that. That's right. Yeah, Marx wrote to Engels, blessed is he who has no family. Mm. And, you know, Marx had a family. Engels didn't. In fact, Engels refused to marry any of his mistresses, who all wanted him to make honest women out of them by, by marriage. And he refused to do it. And so, so Engels totally understood that. And Marx, uh, we could talk about that, but Marx was, a, was really just a terrible husband and, and, and father. But in, in the Communist Manifesto in 1848, you know, it, it talks about the abolition of private property, abolition of all right of inheritance. Uh, it talks about point 10 in, in, in the 10-point the plan of the Communist Manifesto is, quote, free education, unquote, for all children in public schools. Yep. But, but there's also a line in there where they talk about the, quote, abolition of the family, unquote. They even put an exclamation mark after it. And, and they say, even then, Janet, in 1848, they say this is an infamous proposal of the communists. So already at that point, right, at the time the Communist Manifesto is written, uh, you know, they're notorious for, for wanting to abolish the family. So, so, so people knew this back then. You know, people knew what they were up to. They were, they were under surveillance, communists were, by the governments in their home countries because their ideas were such a threat to family and marriage they were considered you know, noxious, toxic, dangerous. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, but here again, only now today, in, in the year 2015, can, can, they, can they count among them allies who aren't communists, you know, people like Anthony Kennedy, uh, you know, the Supreme Court Justice, all the different people in corporate America that are pushing the same-sex marriage, gay rights juggernaut, you know, only now do they finally have a large enough group of people with them who, uh, who though they're not communists, they are all united and all stand together in the notion and idea that, that they can all redefine and reshape and reject the idea of, of, a, of a single, natural, traditional biblical design for marriage and family. Oh, you're so right about that. And yet there are a lot of people in this country who will, for example, look at President Obama. He's a married man. He's got two girls. What a lovely family. He's a good guy. He's a Christian. This was also a man who was greatly influenced, as you've written about, uh, by Frank Marshall Davis, a communist. Uh, His own ideology is right in line with a lot of the things that you've already mentioned about the communists, the, the you know, free this and free that and and uh, same-sex marriage. I mean, here he was on the Obergefell decision. Boom, all of a sudden, rainbow lights go up on the White House. It wasn't even an attempt to acknowledge that there were millions of Americans who were grieved by that decision. It seemed as if it was the ultimate, you know, football spike. Yes. Yeah, it, it was. And I'll never forget, before the House was actually lit up, well, you know, that evening when it was darker, that, that press conference earlier in the day where Obama went outside the White House, kind of chin in the air, in, in a really arrogant, uh, really cold, I felt really callous statement, um, very confident 
basically telling Americans, you know, we do not stand in the way of progress, uh, you know, civil rights, equal rights, all this different stuff. I, I mean, here Americans were wounded watching their country, their culture, their countrymen render unto themselves the, the right to redefine something that heretofore for thousands of years had been widely assumed to be the unique province of the laws of nature and nature's God. Yes. And, 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 here, and here Obama is literally illuminating the White House in the rainbow colors. Mm. And, and I thought, man, this guy talked about fundamental transformation. There it is. There it is. I, I mean, that is a picture of it. And, and, and I thought, too, Janet, of all the African Americans who, who, who are the most religious demographic in the country, they, you know, they are the best, strongest Christians. Uh, you know, who, who voted for this black president. And, and I thought, doesn't this outrage you, right. what, what, what he's done here? In fact, I, I go through in the book how um, this is from David Axelrod, who, who shaped the Obama hope and change message, really got Obama elected twice. Axelrod said in his recent memoirs, just came out a few months ago, that, that Obama, despite what he had been saying publicly at Rick Warren's church, what he said on the campaign trail, 2007-2008, Axelrod said that Obama actually favored same-sex marriage in the 1990s. Yes. And signed a petition when he was running for Illinois State Senate supporting same-sex marriage. But he couldn't admit that publicly because he needed the votes of people, and especially of black Americans. Who, who were more religious and more traditional in marriage than any other group. So he basically lied to, or at least misled and duped, um, his own supporters, his own people. So uh, you know, th- this, this is a scandalous deception. It is. Hang on. Dr. Paul Kangor with me talking about takedown, how the left has sabotaged family and marriage. We'll come back after this. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. When it comes to choice, the Ministry of Preborn offers the ultimate life-saving choice by providing a free ultrasound to an abortion-minded mother, all to introduce her to her preborn baby. And when she sees her baby on ultrasound and hears that baby's heartbeat, in eight out of 10 cases, that mom will choose life. I got to hear how strong her heartbeat was. I was like, I felt like she was supposed to be here. And it didn't matter what anybody else told me. And all that mattered was that I was blessed with the ability to carry life inside of my body and that baby was supposed to be here for something and that was all that mattered. Preborn is the direct competition to Planned Parenthood, and it's making a difference every day. The Ministry of Preborn reaches into the darkest corners and finds women in need to help them embrace motherhood. But the mission of Preborn is more than just a ministry to save babies. Its purpose is to glorify Jesus Christ by equipping pregnancy centers nationwide to help save both babies and souls. As Preborn puts thousands of ultrasounds into more pregnancy centers and counsels women, the ministry is also leading these moms to Christ. In 2020 alone, over 31,000 babies were saved and over 6,500 women came to the Lord. I'm going to keep my baby and I'm going to be a great mom. 
This Sanctity of Human Life Month, we honor the preborn by helping moms in crisis choose life for their preborn babies. Would you please join with Preborn and Janet Meffer today to help choose life for 350 babies this month? All gifts are tax deductible. One ultrasound session costs $28 and $140 will sponsor five ultrasounds. Any gift of any amount will help. $100, $200, or even $1,000. You can call now, 855-402 baby 855-402 baby that's 855-402-2229 or there's a banner to click at janetmefford.com thank you for your gift you're listening to janet mefford today and now here's janet well you may look around at the moral collapse in America, the collapse seemingly of marriage and of the family and think, well, this is all back stemming back to the 1960s or some of the laws that were passed. In fact, no, it goes far further back in history to the mid 1800s. As my guest, Dr. Paul Kangor, has been pointing out in his book, Takedown, that the far left has had its sights on the marriage and family contingent for a very long time. One of the things that you were talking about, Dr. Kangor, before we uh, went to the break, was the fact that you had all these black Americans who had thrown their support behind Barack Obama, excited to have this historic nominee and historic presidency. And yet when same-sex marriage uh, came about, so-called same-sex marriage, marriage was redefined at the Supreme Court and President Obama was spiking the football. Where was the outrage? This picks up something that you also point out in the book, that this never could have happened if the American people had not been dupes or not been willing to go along with this. And the question is, why? Why do you think so many Americans are just going along with this, quote-unquote, progress? Well, it's their ignorance of it, Janet, and, and in fact, a lot of them, same-sex marriage supporters, who, who uh, those who are listening to the show right now, will still scoff at this, right, what, what I'm talking about, and they won't even buy the book. You know, they don't, they don't it's like, it'd be like looking at, at, the, at, at the car wreck, right? They don't yeah. even want to look at it. They don't even want to see the carnage. But, but they're, real, they're really dupes to it in, a, in, in an even worse way. It, not just that they're ignorant of it, but, but they paid for it and, and funded it by sending their children to the universities mm-hmm. where, where all of this was taught. I mean, you ask anybody who, who's lived through this and, and, and who's watched the numbers on, on the, the growth and support of same-sex marriage, it, it's come from the youth, and, 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 it, and specifically, it's come out of the universities in the, in the last 10 or 20 years. Right. And that is exactly... What, what specifically the cultural Marxists, Marcuse, Wilhelm Reich, the Frankfurt School, George Lukács, 1920s through the 1960s, uh, the, the New Left, the Weather Underground, Students for a Democratic Society, uh, the, the Weather Underground, Bernardine Dorn, Bill Ayers, Mark Rudd, their intellectual guru was Herbert Marcuse of, of Columbia, one of, you know, one of the, the leading lights in the, the Frankfurt School, the cultural Marxists. Wilhelm Reich, they were arguing that, that, that the way to really advance Marxism and take down the West, they said it's not going to happen through economics. It's going to happen through culture. Right. Uh, and, and in particular, so what they did was they created a Freudian Marxism where they, where they tried to reshape our ideas, our thinking on sexuality, gender, culture. I, I mean, th- these guys were arguing that 
that, that people are fundamentally bisexual. They're capable of having, having sexual relations with both, with both, uh, both genders. Sexuality is fluid. Gender is fluid. Uh, smashing monogamy. Marriage should not be monogamous. Actually, Ingalls was arguing that in the 1800s. He was arguing against monogamous marriage. Wow. And, 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 they, and they argue that, that you would ch- we could change this. You could have this fundamental transformation through, through cultural conveyor belts like Hollywood, TV, media. They could have never imagined Google and Facebook and social media, and especially through the universities. So they said, give it time. Through the universities, we can make this happen. And so it started in the 60s with the new left, who back then they were mere students. And now all those students in the 60s are are now the professors at the universities, where they have gender theory programs, gender ideology, and and where they've been pushing same-sex marriage. And and so parents have been just feeding their children into these universities at a cost of Twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars a year, and uh, and you know that's why Jimmy or Susie comes home at, at Christmas break and sits around the dinner table and starts talking about how they support marriage equality and abortion rights, mm, right? Uh, because the parents paid for it. Well, even with Margaret Sanger, you talk about her Russian fascination. The abortion rate is sky high in Russia and was in the old Soviet Union. This was a way to undermine the family, the, the birth control thing. And, and you look at what's going on right now. You have all these videos that have come out exposing Planned Parenthood trafficking body parts of babies. And you can't even get sufficient outrage in the American public. You have certain sectors of society that are completely outraged by this, obviously. But you have a whole host of people on the left who are just ho-hum about it. What What's so big about you know, babies being trafficked for body parts. You guys are just coming up with all this stuff. This is all kind of part of the same pool, isn't it? It is, and it's all a rejection of, of absolutes, right? Of, uh, of biblical values, natural law, and uh, yeah. I mean, you you would you would think <laughs> that you know you and I have been hoping for years that that this kind of information would come out, and people on the left would say, "All right, well, you know." I, all right, I'm still pro-choice, but this is horrible. Yes, right? this shouldn't happen. Yes, um, this is scandalizing our own movement. You know, this looks really bad. Planned Parenthood, stop this! At the least, this is bad PR for our cause. No, instead they, they deny it, or or they attack the attack the, the people. Uh, you, you have Democrats in Congress calling for investigations, not of Planned Parenthood, but the investigators oh, of yeah. Planned Parenthood. That's it. That's yeah, right. So, so it, it, it's, it's an absolute outrage. And, uh, and I, I, I guess, unfortunately, I'm, I'm not surprised by it. Uh, you, you wonder, can, can it get any worse? And unfortunately, I think it can and will get worse, as we're seeing that uh, now the left, you know, they don't, they don't want just acceptance of same-sex marriage. If you disagree with them on this, They'll put you in jail. That's where it's heading. And I think That's where it's heading. Yep, absolutely. You know what else people have talked about, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. The fact that this particular movement for redefining marriage was not a bottom-up movement. Rosa Parks saying, I won't give up my seat on the bus, even though they like to compare it to the 60s civil rights movement. It was a top-down thing. It was elitist. It was people back at the after the ball. This is a book that came out in the 80s talking about right. how they could make homosexuality accepted in America. They have achieved everything in that book in record time. This, How is that cultural Marxism? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. 
I mean, it's top down from from the universities, and again, conveyor belts of of TV media, uh, you know, television shows, Hollywood, and, and Google and Facebook and social media has just absolutely accelerated it. And, and of course, the people in those positions and those conveyor belts—they were all educated at the universities. Sure. So that so they now have all of those positions. And and I'll, I'll tell you something else. This this is going to lead to uh, you liberals, same-sex marriage supporters who are listening. I'm, I'm telling you, you, you're playing with fire here, and you, and you don't even realize it. But by smashing the mold of one man and one woman marriage, you have absolutely opened the door to polygamy. I mean, there's a guy out in Montana right now with two women who want to get married, and they're standing there and they're saying, "Love wins." Yep. Yeah, we're consenting adults. Where are our marriage rights? Where's our marriage equality? And they're looking at liberals, and they're looking at Anthony Kennedy, and, and they're saying, why are you invalidating our love? Yep. Right? You know, why, why can't you support our love? This is not right. We love each other. We're consenting adults. And, and really, liberals, they're asking you. They want to know by what standard, according to you know, the liberals and progressives' own logic, by what standard are you going to tell that guy and two girls that they can't get married? Sure. Now, for me, I've got my standards. They're the, the, the ones that have been around for 2,000 years, and also liberals, the ones that basically the entire Democratic Party supported just 20 years ago. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but, but liberals, progressives, using your standards, you, you've, smashed the, you've smashed the mold, and you've made this possible. And, and, and don't say that we didn't warn you. But now, having said all of that, Janet, here's where it gets really outrageous. Because with progressives, you and they themselves never know what they're progressing to, and they're not, there are no absolutes, and everything's always evolving. I got news for you. 20 years from now, they probably will support the marriage of the man and two women. Uh, they might not now. But in 20 years, they will. I don't even and know. And when they yeah. do in 20 years, in 2035, you know, we'll look back at 2015 and we'll say, wait a second, I thought you guys said that you weren't going to support this. It's a, uh, well, they wow. just needed to progress to that, too. You know, this is the, the maddening, careening, scream re- screaming train wreck of an ideology that is progressivism. You never know what it's going to evolve to. All that you know is that it's always changing. And it always is against, as you've mentioned, this counter worldview that we have as Christians, that there right. is a God, that there is a moral law, that even on the natural law level, there's nature and nature's God. This is being discarded and with breathtaking speed in the United States. I never thought I would live to see it, but it is really breathtaking. Yeah, it, it, it really is. And they do. They all hold that in common. Isn't that fascinating? That, that they, they go against the Christian worldview. I got a very interesting email a few weeks ago from a reporter, a conservative reporter, and, and he said, hey, your new book, Take Down, you point out how, how communists are, are, behind, uh, are, are very supportive of the same-sex marriage movement. And he said, well, I've I, I got to point something out to you, and I've and I got to tell you, it's literally quite chilling. He, he said, the Satanist temple, which, which is this hideous group that's doing all this terrible stuff, he said, if you go to their website, and he provided the link to it in, in the email, he said, they're totally on board for same-sex marriage as well. Hmm. And I went there, and I clicked it, and I don't advise that people do this, because you can feel the evil emanating out of your, your, your laptop when you do this. But, but they, they are, like the communists, the, the Satanists 
are totally gung-ho for same-sex marriage, the entire LGBTQ agenda. In fact, they even say at their website that their priestesses have been performing same-sex marriages for, for years. And also, Janet, aside from same-sex marriage, the other issue, far more dominant at their website, the other policy issue that they love, that they are on fire for, is abortion. Isn't that interesting? A great book, Takedown, Dr. Paul Kangor, so important. And Dr. Kangor, great to have had you here. Thank you for your work. We'll be back. All right. Thanks, Janet. This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back on Janet Mefford today. It was the ancient philosopher Plato who believed that the good, the true, and the beautiful are celestial and yet inseparable ideas. And he argued in favor of the objectivity of such values. Now, Christians also have embraced these ideals, knowing that they are rooted in the very nature of God. But we're living in a very unobjective age at the moment, a time in which relativism guides much of man's thinking about what it even means to be human. And this is unfortunately carried over into education. How can you educate a new generation? properly if it is not interacting with these concepts of the good, the true, and the beautiful. So joining me now is Dr. Steve Turley. He teaches theology, Greek, and rhetoric at Tall Oaks Classical School in Newcastle, Delaware, and he is professor of fine arts at Eastern University. Today we're going to be talking about his book. It is called Awakening Wonder, A Classical Guide to Truth, Goodness, and Beauty. Dr. Turley, it's great to have you here. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much, Janet, for having me. Well, it's a pleasure. Now, this is interesting. This will, uh, I think, stretch people's minds a little bit, just remembering Plato's involvement with this particular concept. But take us back a little bit to the time of Plato and what he believed about the true, the good, and the beautiful. Yeah, it is a different world from the world we're living in uh, today. I I loved your introduction. Um, For Plato, uh, the world could be summarized in a a wonderful phrase that scholars use called cosmic piety. It's this idea that the world is filled with divine meaning and purpose. And what that means is that every person born into the world is born into a world of divine obligation. We're obliged to conform our lives into a harmonious relationship with that divine meaning and purpose. And um, we, we understand that meaning and purpose through primarily three ways, the true, the good, and the beautiful. Truth communicates divine meaning and purpose to my intellectual capacities. Uh, goodness communicates divine meaning and purpose to my moral capacities. And beauty communicates divine meaning and purpose to my aesthetic and my emotional capacities. And for Plato, he, he saw these objective values as absolutely necessary to bring those three aspects of our souls into a balance with one another. We, we all know people who are all intellect, uh, but no 
uh, no feeling, no emotion, the most Mr. Spocks of the world. Right. We all know people who are all emotion and no thinking. I won't mention any names there, but <laughs> for Plato, he wanted to see how do we get the intellect and the emotional side of the human person in balance. And you do so by encountering this perfectly balanced cosmic values of truth, goodness, and beauty. And you know that balance has occurred in the soul by their fruit, by their ethical life, uh, by their fruit you shall know them. So virtue became central to the educational project of Plato. And so truth, goodness, and beauty are cosmic values that communicate divine meaning to the intellectual, moral, and aesthetic capacities of the human soul, which brings a balance in the soul which in turn harmonizes the human person with that divine meaning and purpose of the cosmos, which was considered the prerequisite to human flourishing. Wow. Now, when you consider what Plato's ideals were all about and how he would implement those, it strikes me and it strikes you as well in your book that we are living in very different times than Plato's times. What would you say the big difference was between the context in which he was living and the context in which we are living now? Yeah, the huge difference is the change in cosmology. Uh, for, for Plato, we lived in a divine world, um, but we're, li- we're living in a world that's uh, been cut off from that divine meaning and purpose. Today, we're living in a world solely defined in terms of biological, chemical, physical causal laws. And as a result, the divine meaning and purpose that was once thought of as embedded in the world has been relocated purely to subjective processes, mere private belief, personal preference. And so now truth is whatever I want it to be. Uh, Goodness is situational. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Uh, And this is because largely we're living in a time where we believe science, uh, reveals to us reality, and faith is something that is merely personal and private. Yes, for sure. So now when you go from Plato to the time of the early Christians, how did Christians understand historically these concepts of truth, goodness, and beauty? Because certainly these would be attributes rooted in the divine nature of God. That's right, and, and that, that's exactly how they catch them up into the Christian gospel, but then they allow the gospel to do its transforming work and radically alter these concepts, too. So Christians certainly affirm that all people are born into a world of divine obligation, but they introduce something wholly new by transcribing this cosmic piety away from the gods and the planets and the celestial spheres, you know, the worship of creation that Paul talks about in Romans 1. And instead, they impute it solely onto Christ who's the Logos, the new creation, the one in whom all things hold together, the one through whom God has revealed us the infinite fountain of Trinitarian love and delight. Absolutely. And and there's also this radical recalibration of creation in the human person. So for Plato, the material world and the physical body were, in fact, impediments to experiencing the true, the good, and the beautiful. But for Christians, the human soul was, was firmly fixed within the goodness of creation, and it was inextricably linked to the physical body. And instead of getting rid of the physical cosmos, which is what Plato wanted to do, Christians affirm that Christ restored paradise. He brought paradise back into our midst. And so you see the cross 
as the tree of life restored, and the rivers of Eden are seen uh, as re- recovered in the waters of baptism. Uh, the grain and fruit of the third day of creation are transformed into the bread and wine identified mm. with the body and blood of Christ so that creation and incarnation come together mm. to restore a relationship with God and with one another and hence perpetuate the life of the world in a new creation. Wow. So, yeah, so Christians, they really draw in all of this truth, goodness, and beauty, but they radically alter it by having it center around Christ. So kind of shaking off the Gnostic sensibility. Oh, you bet. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It, it, we're, we're firmly physical creatures. We belong in creation. Creation is good, and it is holistic. Behold, I make all things new. How did we lose this, would you say, especially in education? Because historically, when you go back, uh, in particular strains of education especially, there was this idea that that was the purpose of education, to pursue the true, the beautiful, and the good. Uh, what happened? What exactly happened to us? There's a number of things that that go on. It it takes a few hundred years to work itself out. But bottom line, I think um, knowledge changed. Our conception of knowledge changed. I believe it's a contradictory change, but nevertheless it happened. And that's the idea that the only way I can really know is through some kind of scientific, empirical verification. Everything else is mere private opinion Hmm. and personal preference. And you combine that with the rise of the Industrial Revolution and the rise of uh, secular statism that's regulating that Industrial Revolution and then uh, reinstituting a new education that's more interested in creating workers and skills than it is wisdom and virtue. Um, you're going to have a complete different paradigm shift. I think Lewis, C.S. Lewis summed it up beautifully when he said, the classical imagination had an education that answered the question, how do I conform my soul to the divine meaning and purpose around me? And the answer was through wisdom and virtue. Modern education answers a very different question. It answers the question, how do I conform this meaningless, purposeless nature to my own desires and ambitions? And the answer through tapping into those institutions that operate by the mechanisms of coercion, namely science, technology, and the state. Think of the STEM subjects, for right, example. Right, absolutely. And, and so all the, all the aspirations that we, we once longed for, the true, the good, and the beautiful, they in effect disappear in this new educational project because no one's asking that question. How do we conform our souls to that divine meaning and purpose of the created order around wow, us? Very important. We're going to come back to the discussion, Dr. Steve Turley, Awakening Wonder. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. What did you pray for today? Good health, safety, maybe to meet a goal? Those are good things to pray for. But pastors and evangelists in the Middle East aren't praying for material blessings or for an end to the persecution or difficulties they face. Rather, they're praying for copies of God's Word so that believers will be spiritually nourished and strengthened to live out their faith in this challenging part of the world. Many of our brothers and sisters in Christ in places like the Middle East, Asia, Africa, and Latin America live each day without their very own Bible. But 
that you can send one today. Give one Bible for only $5, 20 Bibles for $100, or 200 Bibles for $1,000. Whatever you'd like to give, you can become a Bible sender by calling 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-W-O-R-D. 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a Bible League banner to click at JanetMefford.com. The healthcare open enrollment period has ended in most states. Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a healthcare program. Sign up for Liberty HealthShare. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up now with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not in insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT or 855-585-4237. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back. Thank you so much for being with us. Dr. Steve Turley is my guest. We're discussing his book. It's called Awakening Wonder, A Classical Guide to Truth, Goodness, and Beauty. And boy, have times changed. If you go back to the ancient philosopher Plato, as we've been discussing, you saw this concept of truth, goodness, and beauty being such an important transcendent trio of values that should be pursued. And Christians also picked up on this theme to a greater degree, rooted in the incarnation of Christ and the Trinity. But today, all bets are off, and my guest has pointed out very well, Dr. Turley, I think that our conception of knowledge really has changed. And what would you say have been the, really the after effects of negating this idea that that wisdom and virtue is an important part of education? Well, it's it's devastating and it's holistic. It's uh, systemic in terms of our society because we have bought into the idea that knowledge needs to be sequestered from what the classical imagination would have, would have brought it together with. So we make these dichotomies of fact versus faith, knowledge versus belief, science versus religion. Right. And so the result now is that you can believe whatever you want when it comes to God and gender and uh, increasingly race, and uh, you name it. You can believe whatever you want. You can believe God is Jesus Christ. You can believe God is a pickle. It doesn't matter. (laughs) But you you walk into a science or math classroom, and you're going to be confronted with absolute and unquestionable reality. (laughs) That's the necessary prerequisite for cultivating skills that can then be used to... um, to increase economic growth, and we need economic growth in this sense in order to more effectively conform reality to our own desires and ambitions. C.S. Lewis said it, said it very well, uh, classical education sought to cultivate wisdom and virtue. Modern education seeks to cultivate workers and skills, and Lewis reminds us in the classical world 
that virtue was for the free man, skills was for the slave. Oh, boy, that is uh, very telling, especially applied in our own day. But, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned C.S. Lewis. One of his famous works is The Abolition of Man. And what would you see as the connection between this rise of relativism and the loss of what it means to be human? Because that's something a lot of Christians especially have remarked upon, the fact that man is losing his unique identity in all of this, the way things have changed. That's right. It's... um Again, Lewis is very profound. This is a fantastic resource for your listeners, The Abolition of Man. Uh, Peter Kraft calls it probably the best book written in the 20th century on the modern age, yeah, which great. is saying something from Peter Kraft. <laughs> yes. um, and in under 80 pages, Lewis, Lewis does this fantastic job. His, his major concern is that this modern turn that we've taken away from the transcendent values of truth, goodness, and beauty, inevitably reduced the human person to mere nature. And he was very concerned about this, because if the modern project is about uh, conforming nature to our own desires and ambitions, and if we then realize that humans are basically nature... <laughs> then we can start manipulating humans. Yeah, sure. And if those Planned Parenthood videos don't prove that, I right. don't know what could possibly. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, now, when you look at the classical model, for example, which has been very much embraced by Christians in the last, I don't know, couple of decades for sure, there is this resurgence of interest in doing a better job of educating and incorporating these values of truth, goodness, and beauty that rooted in the Trinity, rooted in the incarnation of Christ. What does that look like, though, in the classroom? What is the difference between the way the secularist would instruct a child in the classroom and the way a classical educator would do it? Oh, it's great. Yeah, again, for the uh, classical Christian educator, we're, we're starting from the premise um, that there is a fall. <laughs> yeah, what a concept. <laughs> right, yeah, there's been a fall. And, and the soul has been disordered, and not just the soul, either the body, the senses as well, the whole human person has been cast out of paradise. And so the, the human, in order to be truly human, we have to be, in a way, rightly put back together. And so through the grace of God that comes to us through church and sacraments, His Word, we then, as an extension of that, um, begin cultivating the process of virtue formation that was lost in the garden. And central virtue, of course, is trusting in all the promises and provisions of God, thereby glorifying Him as Creator and Redeemer, which frees us up to consider the needs of others as more important than our own, loving God, loving neighbor, fulfilling the law. So we'll focus on uh, cultivating a moral imagination. the imagination here is seen as the integrative center for that, uh, that logical, that intellectual, moral, and aesthetic sensibilities that truth, goodness, and beauty awaken. And we'll focus on uh, a tradition that's called the redemption of the senses, which, is, uh, which sees the, the senses as having fallen along with the soul, and so they need to be retrained, reoriented away from the carnal and the sensual and toward the eternally true good and the beautiful. And so the purpose then of literature, art, architecture, music, and poetry is about sanctifying the senses and preparing the body for its future resurrection when Christ returns. Very different than modern education. Modern yes. education yes. is going to teach you, it's going to perpetuate the idea that science and math are facts, 
everything else is faith. Science and math are knowledge. Everything else is belief. (laughs) Science gives us a true understanding of the world. Religion is a personal, private thing that does not belong in the public square. That's what modern education perpetuates. Today. Oh, it does. And and what is the end result of all of this? You get metal detectors in schools Absolutely. and you have character for, you know, character uh, formation classes alongside Planned Parenthood sex ed. You got I mean, it. But, but you, you end up not teaching children how to think no. in the final analysis and not teaching children really in, in the final analysis how to have good moral character because that really in the, it really communicates to the next generation that you are something more than just a blob of cells which is seems to come up against uh, the secularist mentality these days absolutely you got it. I love uh, I love Paul's call in Romans 12 1 and 2 off your bodies as living sacrifices there, there's that there's those sanctified senses as it were okay. and don't be conformed to the pattern of the world but be renewed Right, by the transfiguration of the mind. The yes. body and the soul together are, are caught up in this, this redeeming, uh, glorious grace of Christ. And if, if, it's, if it's not being drawn up into that grace, it's going to go into a counterfeit gospel. Mm-hmm. And our counterfeit gospel today is the modern secular age. Oh, for sure. That's well said. Now, one of the things that you talk about is getting students to really awaken wonder. This is playing off your title. In this field of aesthetics, what are you talking about? You had talked about that a little bit, referring back to Plato, but what is your objective here when you're trying to get students to think about think about life aesthetically? Yeah, we're trying to get them, the, the whole idea of aesthetics is the idea, you know, the contemplation of art and beauty. And even just that term, contemplation is a beautiful term. It comes from the Latin contemplare, meaning thinking thoughts associated with a temple, contemplare. Hmm. It's a very sacred, consecrated thoughts. And what you're doing is you're, you're teaching students to begin to look at the totality of the created order as just that, a divine arena of God's glory. That's one of the hardest things today for the modern mind to see the world in many ways like a metaphor. And so what we'll do is we'll train them to read stories as pointing to a wider story. So um, we'll get them to, for example, read uh, Sleeping Beauty. And what's Sleeping Beauty? Well, it's about a prince who comes, slays a dragon, rescues his bride, and raises her to life. Well, wait a minute now. We've read that before, haven't we? <laughs> or, or Pinocchio is a story of transfiguration. Yeah. Uh, the Little Mermaid is, is, is about the quest for eternal life. They learn to see sports, uh, as Paul saw it in 1 Corinthians 9, as a way of developing self-control and self-mastery and virtue. They look at science as a way of studying not just creation, but even uh, through chemistry and biology, the very body that Christ incarnated and is preparing for its total transfiguration when he returns. So it's beginning to look at the totality of life around them as divine images of God's glory. Wow. And what a difference that makes in the final analysis, because that is the truth. And this is a great book. It's called Awakening Wonder, A Classical Guide to Truth, Goodness, and Beauty. Dr. Steve Turley joining us today. And it was wonderful to have you. Thank you so much, Dr. Turley. Thank you, Janet, so much. Oh, thank you again for being with us. We appreciate your listening today. Hope you can join us next time. Our website is JanetMefford.com. Thanks a lot for listening. God bless. 
This hour has been brought to you by Preborn. Help us save 350 babies' lives by the end of January through a gift of one free ultrasound. $28 saves one life. Call now, 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. 